Now, grace, mercy, and peace come to you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have you ever stopped and thought for a moment about how our lives seem to revolve around seasons, for instance? Hey, look at the, look at the calendar, right? We, we've, we've got things broken up. We know months by their seasons. We have spring and summer and fall and winter and all that. And, you know, if you're a sports fanatic like me, I revolve my year around sports seasons. <laughs> Baseball in the summer and football in the fall and winter, hockey, right? Things like that. Even uh, our holidays seem to be predicated on seasons, for instance. We know that uh, we celebrate Thanksgiving in, uh, in the fall and Christmas in the winter. And what happens in the spring? Easter, right, exactly. Even the church year, we have seasons. Our pyramids are green right now. We're in the long green season known as ordinary time, which is kind of odd that we would be talking today about the Paschal Lamb, because doesn't that happen during uh, purple and white at those seasons there? But yet here we are, and that's what we're talking about today, the Passover and the Paschal Lamb. So what gives if we're in the green season talking about this Paschal Lamb today? Well, we're in, the, in week three of our 10-week journey through the Bible. In the first week, we heard of God's promise to raise up a Savior from Eve's descendants, which would crush the serpent's head, even as the serpent was biting his heel. And that would accomplish, be accomplished in Jesus' death on the cross. Last week, we heard about Abraham and Isaac, and how Abraham was going to be the father of all these nations, but he was to take his son Isaac and offer him up as a burnt offering. And then we see yet again, God providing what? A, a, a lamb. A ram, actually, right? Caught with its horns in the thickets. And that ram pointed ahead to Jesus Christ, God's son, wearing a crown of thorns around his head and sacrifice on the cross on our place. And today, we move through 500 years more. <laughs> I know that's kind of hard to accomplish in an hour and still make Bible study, but here, let me, let me give you the synopsis the best way I can. So Abraham's beloved son Isaac grows up, marries Rebekah, has Jacob and Esau. Jacob ends up being the favored one. Jacob is named Israel by God, the name by which his nation of descendants would become known. And then he fathers 12 sons who become the fathers of 12 extended families or tribes, which collectively together become a nation. Of his 12 sons, the 11th one is favored, and that's Joseph. Joseph ends up being sold into slavery, ends up in Egypt, gains favor with the Egyptians, and holds a high ranking. During that time, Israel's descendants, also known as what? The Hebrews, multiply into a great nation in Egypt. Long after Joseph and his brothers pass away, there comes a new Pharaoh. Pharaoh looks in on this, and now the Pharaoh has no clue what Joseph did for the Egyptians during that great famine, how he saved them from destruction and all those plights that came uh, along with it, like death. So this Pharaoh sees the Hebrews growing greatly and becomes disturbed. Why? Because he's, he's fearing that they're going to overtake them. So Pharaoh becomes hardened makes the lives of these Hebrews very, very difficult. But by God's blessing, the more difficult he made things on the Hebrews, the more they grew. So finally, Pharaoh gives a command to drown every firstborn Hebrew child, every boy actually, Hebrew boy, in the Nile. But one special boy was born, Moses, to a Hebrew woman 
who places this boy into a special vessel, pitched and tarred and all that, so it would float down the Nile, where he's found by the Pharaoh's daughter, who takes him and raises him in Pharaoh's palace. This boy grows up to be quite something. Learns all the Egyptian ways. When Moses is about 40, he sees a Hebrew being whipped and beaten by an Egyptian. So he offs the Egyptian. The Pharaoh finds out. Moses flees to Midian, where he marries a Midianite woman and raises his father's flocks. He spends 40 years doing that. One day he's out tending the flocks and he notices a burning bush. Yet the bush isn't being consumed by fire. So Moses is thinking, hmm, wonder what's going on here. Walks over towards the bush to find out what's going on when this voice comes out of this bush. Moses, Moses, do not come near. Take your sandals off for you, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. I want to stop here for a moment. Pause in this 500-year history, right? And think about what Moses just heard from God. Take your sandals off. You are standing on holy ground. This is an important theme all throughout the Old Testament. God is holy. Sinful people cannot enter into his presence unless he permits them and deals with their sins. Kind of reminds us, doesn't it, that one day God's Son, Christ Jesus, will stand upon this earth to judge the living and the resurrected dead. And once again, all of his creation will stand upon the earth with him, and only those who have been made holy through faith in Christ Jesus will be able to dwell with God. Unfortunately, all the rest who don't believe are going to be cast into hell. So from this burning bush, God tells Moses that he has seen the afflictions of his people, that he's heard their pleas, their cries, and he's known their sufferings, and he's come now to deliver them from the hands of these Egyptians. So God tells Moses to go to Pharaoh and tell him that he, Moses, will bring God's people out of Egypt. And of course, Moses hems and haws. I can't do that. I can't speak. Ah. And every time he has, a, has an excuse for something, God has an answer. Kind of reminds me when I was going to seminary. I looked at God. I'm like, you're out of your mind. <laughs> I'm not going. I can't speak. I can't do that. And God said, no, you're going. That's what he told Moses. And he sent Aaron along with him to be his mouthpiece, to speak. And off they went. God knew that Moses was going to go and have these difficulties with Pharaoh. And so, you know, Moses and, and Aaron would go off and they would talk to Pharaoh and Pharaoh kind of balked at him. Moses hesitates. God persists. Moses obeys. Pharaoh's response, though, was similar to that of Adam and Eve in the garden. Adam and Eve and Cain. You know, the ungodly rarely listen to God. And they usually always disobey Him. So God responds what? With a string of ten plagues. And it's kind of interesting here. Through these plagues, God displays His power and His superiority over all those so-called Egyptian gods. And each time the Lord struck Egypt with a plague, Pharaoh humbled himself and promised to set Israel free. But what happens usually? Every time God relented, what did Pharaoh do? Went right back to being his old hardened-hearted self. Finally, we get to the 10th plague. And for the 10th and final plague, Aaron announced that God would send an angel to strike down all the firstborn 
from Pharaoh's royal heir to the firstborn of all Egyptians and all their livestock. Stop for a moment. This is a terrifying reminder of Judgment Day. Terrifying if you don't believe in the Lord. Each and every one of us will stand before Christ Jesus. Even if that day doesn't come for another two to 3,000 years, we will all be raised to life to stand before our judge. And not a single one of us will be able to escape judgment. Can't run, we can't hide, we can't flee from it. We will face it. But God, as always, provides a way to save the firstborn of Israel and us. As we see in Exodus 12 today, God commands His people to get a lamb or a goat, their choice, as long as it's without blemish. And on the 10th day, that's when they get it, and they keep it until the 14th day, when all of Israel will kill the lambs at twilight. And then they're going to take some of that blood, and they're going to paint the lentils of the doorposts with it. So as the angel of death passes over, it'll keep on going. They'll be protected, as promised by God. And this lamb becomes known as what? The Passover lamb. Each year thereafter, God's people would celebrate the Passover feast and sacrifice Passover lambs to commemorate how God freed them from slavery in Egypt. A new season God establishes for His people. A season of freedom. Think about it. Freedom doesn't come without sacrifice, though, does it? Tomorrow, 4th of July, we celebrate our nation's freedom. 246 years ago, 56 men signed that Declaration of Independence. Listen to this, though. Their conviction resulted in the suffering for both themselves and their families. Of the 56 signers, five were captured by British forces and tortured before they died. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned. Two lost their sons in war, and two more had their sons captured. Nine fought and died from the hardships and the wounds that they suffered. Point being, it takes courage, it takes conviction, and belief and sacrifice to obtain freedom. But as hard as mankind tries, mankind cannot liberate itself from the slavery to sin. Humans can't make themselves holy on their own to stand in the presence of God. Only God can do that. God freed the Israelites from captivity. And that Passover lamb was both food to prepare these Israelites for their freedom, for their flight, to freedom, as well as a sign that these people would not be harmed as promised by God. And all these Passover lambs became the third major reference to the coming Savior that we see in the Old Testament. The first, we spoke before, was in the Garden of Eden when God told the serpent the seed that the woman would crush his head while he was bruising the seed's heel. And that was a reference to Jesus' victory over Satan when he suffered and died on the cross. The second was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns, which was sacrificed as a substitute for Abraham's son, Isaac. That ram pointed to God's only beloved son, Christ Jesus, wearing a crown of thorns around his head as he was sacrificed. And this third, this is Christ, the final Passover lamb, whose blood was shed on the cross and marks us in our baptisms as redeemed. In Holy Communion, we see the body and the blood of Christ that are with, in, and under the bread and wine. 
visible marks of God's holy grace that proclaim our forgiveness and freedom and allow us to stand before Him. And on judgment day, that angel of death will see the blood of Christ marking us and will pass over us, sparing us from eternal death and hell. And washed clean and pure of all of our sins to live in God's presence, we together will stand on a new earth. We'll be living in a perfectly restored creation, surrounded by people made pure, holy, and good. Life will be eternal. And will be a delight standing on ground made holy by the feet of God, standing with us forever. So while we usually mark Easter in the spring for the Paschal Lamb, may we remember daily, daily, the Paschal Lamb and the freedom He has brought for us, bought for us. And may we remember the liberties we have in this country daily to live our lives in the freedom of Christ, to proclaim the gospel to people who so desperately need it. And to God be all the glory. Amen.